This is Sunny, and this is a Sunny Look at the Bible. Our new study is called Adding Jesus to Your Today. Every week for six weeks, we're going to learn how to add Jesus to every trial and trauma. In fact, especially in every trial and trauma, it is an opportunity to add Jesus. Now, I believe life doesn't happen to us. Life happens for us. But let's talk about how that works and how that works for you. Let's start now right into adding Jesus to your today. Uh, The first thing is, and you'll notice in the caption that today's study is on monotheistic versus serving a pantheon of gods. Uh, It's on Hebrew versus Greek uh, philosophy and learning. And you'll also notice that uh, I tagged who I talked about last week. I'm never someone to call people out, like literally never. Uh, But last week, I I later uh, tagged these people and then I talked about what they're teaching on uh, my last week's video Uh, And that was Jen Hatmaker and Rachel Hollis. And today I tagged them early. And I don't know that they're ever going to look at this. But the reason is because uh, they they would be considered progressive progressive Christians. And so the reason that my caption is talking about monotheistic and those who serve a pantheon of gods, which because those are those are opposite ends, but they're Hebrew and Greek uh, ways of learning and philosophies, is because there is something that's going to be happening in the future. And that's going to be, and we don't have all the details on this, but I wanted you to be some of the first to know if you happen to listen to this. There's going to be a Jewish context uh, course study. And really, if you watched, not watched, you couldn't watch. I wish we would have gotten it videoed. A lot of people said they would have loved to have been a fly on the wall of the recording of the podcast, A Pastor and a Rabbi Walk Into a Cultural Crisis. We're going to be doing a series of binge-worthy podcasts, meaning we released four, and you can listen to all four one after the other, a pastor and a rabbi walk into a cultural crisis. And you can go to podcast.lifechurchgreenbay.com to find that on there, or you can search it on any podcast platform. I listen to mine on Spotify. And uh, you learned, if you listen to even one of those, that there is Jewish context that is important because that's how the Bible was written. Genesis to Revelation uh, was written in a Jewish context, all of it. And what happened is that the the New Testament was translated into Greek because uh, the people were beginning to be reached in Greece and in Roman areas that had Greek influence. However, we started to change how we did life, relationship with Jesus, our view of God, church was all changed to be in a Greek context. Uh, it's kind of like when we hear people talk about an Eastern civilization versus a Western civilization, that would be what we're talking about. An Eastern civilization would be that Jewish context. It'd be how Jesus was raised, how Jesus learned from a rabbi, to now a Greek context where it is Westernized. And that would be similar to help you understand what I'm talking about, that we live in a Western context. So we do everything that we've done in Western society because we believe with all of our heart that America is the greatest world power, the greatest superpower, America. Um, we, we believe that everybody all around the world wishes they lived in America and were American. 
That's a very Western way of thinking. Uh, but I think that's what it took to uh, build the Wild West and the frontier and to take over and become the New England states and the 13 first colonies and then to spread West. There had to be this hubris. And um, I think that's what we still live in because we're not many generations into the people who settled this land. Now, if you could get in my head and my heart, my excitement for uh, history, anthropology, uh, I love all of that. Sociology, I love to understand the psychology of people. I love that stuff. In fact, Sean and I were talking last night and I said, if I had my way, when we retire, I would go get a history degree, not just American history, although I think that would be valuable. It would answer a lot of questions and a history degree from on history, not a politics degree. Um, and then I would also love to get a history degree in world history. And I would be a professor or a tour guide. Some of you have heard me say that a bunch and you're like, she is a weirdo. She likes critters. She likes squirrels, chipmunks. Um, I don't, even I saw a mouse dead the other day and it was a cute little mouse. And I'm like, my heart is growing even for mice. So I know I'm a weird person. And then you know that I like my biggest dream for my life would be that I'd be able to be a tour guide, a history tour guide. That probably makes $12 an hour. I don't know. That's just me. So anyway, when I think about how America was settled and we hear screaming at us, uh, America's so great and we need to make it great again and America, the proud, the brave, the strong, all of that stuff. There is a pride in America, which which it's good to have pride in where you live. It's good to have love of your country. It's good to recognize everyone that that brought us such freedom. I get it. And then there's a level of too much pride. And the Bible is very clear. Pride comes before the fall. And so some people, the pride meter has gone off the charts. That's not just in America. That's not, that's, that's individually in each of us, we have to watch, we have to, we have to address the pride. But what happened is the Greeks felt like they were way better than the Hebrews. They were the Western civilized people. And those Hebrews were just walking around in sandals. Can you relate? We're America. We are so amazing and civilized. And you have China looking at us going, you don't have near the technology or the advances we have. So we are going to, um, we have, Sean has been preaching Jewish context and researching that at a way deeper level ever since we got to Green Bay compared to when we pastored as youth pastors and at other churches where you skim the surface of the Bible. We've been digging deep because if I'm not satisfied, why would you be satisfied? Why would others and why would God be satisfied at our, our uh, Bible for dummies? The Cliff Notes version. No, let's, let's, the only thing that's life changing is digging into the scripture. And so, uh, that has been something that's been a culture of Sean and I's and Life Church and has helped build life, build Life Church to unpack it in a way we understand. Sean pointed out Wonder Woman last, um, two Sundays ago that this is where we get Wonder Woman but it would trace back to the Bible. And so when we think, yeah, but like, is that relevant? Yeah, it's, it's so relevant. Just like uh, I feel that we need, to, we need to offer something for a Jewish context. And so in the future, we're going to be offering something where we're partnering up with Rabbi Matt. Uh, he was the one that was on that podcast. And we will be offering uh, courses. We really want pastors 
to find the Jewish context because I just saw Rabbi Matt was talking about the Samaritan, the good Samaritan who was the one who helped the person alongside the road or the 99 and the one. Pastor Matt, when he unpacks that, it's a totally different context. It's a Jewish context. And so it's a different story than we've been told. It's a different story than is preached. And it's actually more significant. Pastors need to know that. So between Rabbi Matt, Sean, and then obviously my research, I've tried to go a whole lot deeper than surface level. Um, the reason that I tagged a couple people uh, is because uh, what is more popular is to change the Bible for today, not just for 1900 and not just for 1960, but change the Bible for 2020 because gosh, it just seems like God would be different than how we think. Now, the church has messed things up. Christians have messed things up. 100% agree with that. But the Bible has not messed things up. The Bible is as relevant today as it ever was. We just need to know the context. We need to know the meaning, the true meaning. And so we're going to dig in today about how to grow and how to grow in a Hebrew model, not a Greek model. Because we in America, we learn, we grow, we're educated, we live in a Greek model. Okay, so if you were to ask, if I were to ask you actually to describe a roller bag, a roller luggage bag. You would probably, like most people, say something like, okay, it's a rectangle bag. It has a zipper on three sides. You pull up the handle from the top and you pull it, you roll it. And that's most what most would say, but that's typical Greek thinking, which is interested in form. However, in a Hebrew perspective, it would more likely be described as a function or purpose. So a Hebrew answer to a, what is a luggage bag, a roller luggage bag, would be it's a container for transporting clothing and personal belongings. I don't give you the description of the external picture. I tell you what it is for. That's the difference. And Hebrew thinking was always and still is God-centered. It's a monotheistic uh, way of thinking. And let me explain. Monotheistic is relating to or characterized by the belief that there is only one God. God is the center of everything. God is the most important thing. In fact, when I ask, or if I ask pastor or rabbi Matt, he's a messianic Jewish rabbi, meaning he's Jewish by birth. He's Jewish in his teaching. He's been raised up by a rabbi, but he's a Messianic Jew. He's not an Orthodox Jew. He's not just a Jew by birth. He's a Messianic Jew who would say, ah, Jesus is the Messiah. He's like the disciples who were Jewish, remain Jewish, and then their mind was changed. It took Thomas until he saw Jesus resurrected with holes in his hands, but they believed he's the Messiah. <clears throat> so if I were to ask Rabbi Matt, What's the most important thing in your life? His immediate answer would be God. If you were to ask someone who's outside of that thinking, they might even be a Christian. And they they might, <coughs> excuse me, not want to be tricked into, they might go, oh, I think you want me to say God. But they would say, well, family. Or, you know, it would be a hard answer for the Hebrew thinking, there's one God and he is the most important. But in the Greek thinking and how we live in a Western world that is influenced by Greek thinking from centuries ago, they served a pantheon of gods and they saw man as the center of life. 
We see this in our modern society, right? Humanism uh, is a philosophy that takes that idea to a higher level, which many live in in our country, and they eliminate the need for God or religion. And so even as we Christians, Jesus people, even as we or you remember singing worship songs in church, we often prefer the affirming songs, the ones that are man-centered, and it's about what God does for us rather than worshiping who God is, which is a God-centered thinking, meaning like, I am a friend of God. That is a song that took off in churches, and people love that. We've never sang it. I think I am God's friend, but I'm not worshiping Him to tell myself I'm a friend of God. It's about me. And and there's we don't feel like any, there's anything wrong with that because we live in a man-centered world. So the Greeks were very interested in outward beauty, hedonism, nudity, sexuality, and I'm not going to go there because (laughs) you know I beat that drum to death. Uh, In fact, when you, uh, if you want to go back, if you want to watch something that I know some people have not watched, because if they had, they'd be all up in arms about everything I said about sexuality inside and outside of marriage. I'm not going to beat that drum in this video because I did that last week. I mean, I got done and I went, whoa, I'm surprised I haven't had death threats. So I would suggest you watch last week's. It's on here. It's on the podcast. Um, when I say here, it's on Facebook, it's on the podcast. Some of you will will be listening to this on the podcast. It's on my YouTube channel. It's week five of this, a sunny look at the Bible, adding Jesus to your today. So I won't camp on that. I'm going to move to how we can grow in our journey with Jesus and get ourselves out of a Greek model of that and into a Hebrew model. So let me give you some examples to just unpack this a little further. The Greek model says, you sit in chairs face forward and listen to me. Doesn't that sound like school? The Hebrew model says, gather around now. Now, come on, go. Fo- let's go follow me. It's kind of like the difference between typical school where you sit in desk and face the teacher and listen, or field trip day, which is that I'm back to, I love the idea of being a tour guide, I'd be like, let's go walk, walk around Chicago. I was, I did have a, um, I had a membership to the Chicago architectural. I mean, we live three and a half hours from Chicago. I bought a membership, a annual membership to the Chicago architecture society, which meant I could go on any tours, walking, Segway, car, bus tours of the city of the architecture. Cause there's lots of those. That is that Now come gather around. We would stand in a circle. Now come follow me. Let's keep walking. That's the Hebrew model. The Greek method focuses on content. The Hebrew model focuses on context. So think about that within what you listen to for churches or where you attend church. The Greek method focuses on content. Like, what did I get out of that? What, what, it, what is in it for me? Like, oh, okay, I learned that about Jonah. And like, okay, the Hebrew method focuses on context. Like, was the Jonah and the whale thing really? He lived in a belly or was that a parable? Was that an illustration? It, it asked the question and actually Hebrew or the Hebrew model Jews. Uh, in fact, Matt has said often, Rabbi Matt constantly says, to him to have questions and discussion means we're really close and we don't agree, which makes you closer to me. Whereas the Greek model says is if, if you disagree with me, we're going to fight. Think about this in the political climate we're in right now. If you don't agree with me, you're my enemy. I'm going to unfriend you. I'm going to yell at you. 
That's a Greek model. Think, I mean, where did this come from? Think about the Roman Empire. If you didn't agree, you could be put to death. Uh, we, we have laws that we're going to keep people in line. Here's the thing. A Hebrew model would say the more we can disagree and have a discussion, the more I understand you and you understand me. And man, the most, the more it makes me really think and the more it makes me think about a deeper relationship with God. And, you know, Rabbi Matt and Scott, the reason Pastor Scott, you know, he's alpha man. He's alpha man. That sounds alpha course, where no question is a dumb question, where it's let's get around and discuss it. And even uh, downtown church in Green Bay, the whole format is let's watch what pastor, let's listen to what pastor said. Now let's talk about it. And, and no question or no disagreement is off the table. Okay. Again, the Greek model says, get a degree in an area you study, a degree in business or a degree in medicine. The Hebrew model says, I followed and watched and got a degree in my mentor. So Rabbi Matt, I think he ended up having to go to Christian college because there aren't rabbinical colleges uh, because you, you follow a rabbi. It's like an apprentice. It's like an internship. I got a degree in my Aunt Judy that was more effective, honestly, than the degree I got from Bible college where I have I have a Bachelor of Arts. I have a four-year degree in Bible. I wish I would have taken that in the last couple of years. I would have been way more engaged than when I was 17, 18, 19, 20. Uh, but I have a degree in theology. I think the more important degree I have is a degree in Aunt Judy. I followed and served under Pastor Buntain. Sean for sure has a degree, meaning has a, a life of knowledge about him that has forever changed us. That's the Hebrew model. It's the come follow me, do as I do, watch what I say, and that we find someone that they're not perfect, but they aren't failing at every turn. Uh, so then lastly, an example, the Greek method sees minds as empty jars that needs to be filling up using an impersonal curriculum to provide information. Again, can you picture school? Oh, these little minds, these little five-year-olds and six-year-olds. And here's the danger in that. It's somewhat true. What we, the things that teachers can say and, and curriculum can say in courses on, are you, Male, female, or have you decided? Do you like boys or girls? You're a kindergartner in Seattle. Who do you like? Of course the girls like girls. That's their best friends. They think boys have cooties. Why are you asking their sexuality then? And guys, this is coming in with, this is already in Wisconsin, just at a higher grade. So it's this empty jar where you can put all kinds of stuff in, and that's us for the rest of our life. Garbage in, garbage in, Netflix in, that show in, that movie, that music in. Then we wonder why the junk comes out. But the Hebrew method sees minds as clay needing to be molded, personalizing the education process by daily interaction, where we can say, oh, honey, no, just because you're in first grade and you were asked if you like girls or boys and you said, I like girls, that doesn't mean you have to make a choice. And your little best friend is a girl. So of course you like girls more. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to mold you. We're going to have conversations at home. But we've taken, and let me get my, on my soapbox right now. We have taken the Greek model to an extreme. And we've said, come get into our four walls of our church. Sit down, face the pastor. The pastor's going to say it. You're going to take that in. It's going to make you feel awesome. If you're getting the word of God, it will be amazing. Great. 
we're in a city and many cities in America, it is this liturgical mindset of, oh, I could go to mass or I could go to church, check that box. If it's Saturday night mass, I could go out to drink. I can leave church, check the box, go back and live with my boyfriend or girlfriend, knowing, not just because the Bible says and pastor mentioned it, but also because I know in my spirit, I know I feel convicted about this. And I can go and live with someone I'm not married to, have children with someone I'm not married to. And nobody's telling you, nobody's shaping the clay of your mind and your emotions. Nobody's doing that. Maybe your parents came from that same, we check the box, we go to mass, we go to church, but we live at home like we want the rest of the week. And they've encouraged you to try it out before you buy it, live together before you get married. So the only one molding you, and my book, the first seven chapters are re the whole goal in this. I have to get it in by August 3rd, but when it's complete, the whole goal is to take us on a journey of not hating our parents or our grandparents or the generational um, junk we were told and taught if we were brought up with some misinformation. It, it's not just acknowledging it. It's not hating it. It's realizing it, it's identifying it, it's healing from the misinformation, it's replacing it with God's truth. And not just content on the surface level of the Bible, but the context of what God meant for us. But we have done a disservice for centuries since the Greeks came about, the Roman, the Roman church was developed to say, come and see inside the building, come once do what I tell you, but then I won't follow up with you. I won't mold you like clay. You're just an empty jar. I'm going to throw information in and I think you're going to go home and you're going to make the right decision. Rather than having interaction with people like a rabbi, that form where there's someone in your life that's a Jesus person. And if someone in your life is a Jesus person, even if they're only a year older in their Jesus journey, that they would say, you know, I know that you guys are fighting all the time, because the news worn off, you're living together. Um, either you should get pre-marriage counseling, get the help, and then get married, make it right, get God's hand a blessing on you. Or just because it's less convenient to have to move out and pay two separate bills, two separate rent payments, all of that, it's still the right thing to do. That comes through relationship, not come into the building, sit in the chair. Nobody knows your, your, they might know your name. They might know your face. You might stand in the lobby and I'm going to do this in the lobby today. I'm going to do a Facebook live and talk specifically to this. You might see somebody in the lobby of a church coming and going. You might even stand for five minutes. You might give them a hug, but you both might go home or get in the car and you go right back to the, the dysfunction in the marriage, the yelling at the kids, the, the, the same life you've been living and you, and you, gosh, you go to church every Sunday before this pandemic, but, but why didn't it change you more? And we're all being forced to stay at home. And I think it's a God thing that we're staying at home because we're being forced to not only live out the Hebrew model of digging into the scripture, or you can watch 30 YouTube videos from amazing preachers, amazing, amazing theologians, right now. And you can go dig, you can dig deeper because you're stuck at home. You have time with your kids to say, you know what, let's get a little kid's Bible and let's read through the stories and your kids will absorb it and you're shaping and you're molding the clay.
But due to centuries of Greek influence in our Western culture, Christians have gone off that mark. And here is what Christians are. They've rightfully earned the label like hypocrite, judgmental, kooky, self-righteous, weirdo, and the list unfortunately goes on and on and on. Christians have earned the label, um, but then Christians also who didn't earn the label have been labeled a certain way. So that's why we obviously, we you know about Sean and I, we call ourselves Jesus people. But we really want to go to the contextual way of growing and learning. So let me give you some practical ways to live in the Hebrew model of learning. Um, for instance, I said, I want a degree in my Aunt Judy. That's like walking alongside a rabbi. Now, you don't have to physically. I was only with my Aunt Judy living with her for um, seven months of my last year of high school. And then I didn't see her after I graduated. And I didn't even talk on the phone with her that much. Seven months did so much. You might be mentored by someone Lisa Turkhurst, you might be mentored by her. That's totally okay. You might be mentored by Beth Moore. Don't be mentored by people who are seeing the Bible in a new way. That's no different than Joseph Smith having magic spectacles in the Mormon church arrived in this century. People who feel like they're getting a new revelation from God run away. In fact, I'm seeing things online of, I had this prophetic dream. I'm telling you, I'm having lots of dreams. I'm feeling God speaking a lot to me. I feel like there's a lot of things I could say. This feels prophetic. It's not mine to share to you unless God were to somehow make it clear I'm like a prophet named, like the prophet named Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah he hasn't, he hasn't said, Sonny, you're like Nehemiah. He just hasn't, okay? So you're not going to hear from me. I've seen people go, go viral. And I had this dream, and this is a prophetic word. We, we have to be very cautious on, who, on saying that, but also on what we listen to. Scripture has said it all. Now, if somebody wants to say, I, I want to unpack contextually what this scripture means, and it is so relevant for today, listen to that. Because they're, they're going through digging into the Bible and the past, not trying to have this new fresh revelation, which tickles the ears. So people like a Jen Hatmaker or Rachel Hollis, who they've, they've got this new insight. Like, talk about pride. Who do you think you are that the Bible is revealed to you new? Now, I have the Bible revealed to me old. That's what I trust. But my Aunt Judy, she was in the physical for me for seven years, for seven months. And of course, she was my aunt. You don't have to have somebody that you're walking with daily in person. You can have someone that you're um, you're watching and they're solid and you're watching online. Um, you're reading their book. Just if if in question, Facebook message me and, and I can give you, not because I'm a know-it-all, but because there's ways to find out if someone is biblically sound or if they are looking to build... Um, their popularity by changing what the word of God says. What my Aunt Judy had for qualities, and here's the practicals to look for in someone and in yourself as you grow, the three qualities that you know you're growing internally. The Hebrew mindset says that it's just important, as important on the inside as the outside. In fact, the lens that places, Hebrew lens is the lens that places no more emphasis on the outer us than on the inner us. That's the Hebrew mindset. So these three qualities through that mindset that we can grow in that are eternal, internal and eternal are teachability, capacity, and character. And if you're taking notes, teachability, 
capacity, and character. <coughs> I apologize always to my podcast people when I'm coughing. So teachable. Teachable people can take correction. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It just means that they process it and they push forward and it pushes them forward. Even if they get hurt or it stuns them, they don't get offended and live in offense. They're not wounded that that last. Teachable people can can just go so far. Our pastor, Buntain, um, that we worked for as youth pastors, he asked us on our job interview, and I unpack the whole story in my book, chapter eight, that's coming out. But he says, can you guys be teachable? And Shauna and I were like, is that the only question he has for this whole interview? Because it was our whole job interview. The only question he had was, can you be teachable? We said yes, and he hired us. We had no idea how big of a deal that was. And here's the thing. You have to remain teachable at any stage and any age in your life. What Pastor Buntain also modeled for us is that he often commented that as he aged, he knew less about all things he thought he was an expert about in his 20s and 30s. So being teachable is being someone who can be the expert in a room on a subject, but come across like the student. Another way that you know if someone is teachable, if you're teachable and growing in that Hebrew model or you're being mentored by someone who's teachable, is do they treat the janitor the way they treat the CEO? It's a good litmus test. And in our case, and I know this is bragging a little because we live in Green Bay and even at the exchange, we see Packer players and coaches uh, or at our church or, or whatever. But do we treat the janitor? Do we treat the guy with the the missing tooth and the crummy clothes that walks in and talks to us the same way that we treat the Packer player? Do we treat the janitor the same way we treat the CEO or the athlete? That's a good litmus test on your teachability, on your humility, and on who you're following and watching them. The second the second way to know if you're growing and to know who you should follow is capacity. Capacity by definition is the maximum amount something can contain. And I don't know about you, but I need, I need to be growing my capacity. I need more out of life, always. Some people don't always feel that, but I think that if you're growing, you're always, you're expanding the bottle, you're expanding the lid, you're lifting the ceiling of who you are. Good character and integrity are, is who you are, but you, you lift the lid and you go, I can be better. I can be more. I can do more. And to increase your capacity, I have a few tips that I've implemented in my life. Number one, I'm mindful to, mindful to take a weekly Sabbath. That doesn't mean I always go away for the day. That means that I shut it off. I turn it off. I, um, <clears throat> I change my surroundings. I might sit on my porch and not just for an hour because I can do that in one day, but maybe I say, I'm going to do that for the entire afternoon. I'm mindful to take a Sabbath. That increases my capacity for growth. Number two, I exchange making an 80% effort 100% of the time for making 100% effort 80% of the time. This is a mind shift, but it's important to increase my capacity. I become more of a reader. I don't just scroll Facebook when I sit on my porch and take a Sabbath. I actually leave my phone in the house because I know that becoming more of a reader will lift my lid of capacity. Number four, I journal not only my prayers of thanks, but also my questions in the form of a letter to God. I also, I dream on paper. I dream bubble. Like I've got a whiteboard with God and I'm like, what about this? And I dream and I circle. 
that lifts my lid. And lastly, I am willing to kill sacred cows immediately if God says to, rather than holding on to last year's plan or last month's calendar or last month's routine because it brought me comfort. If I need to pivot, if change comes or if I feel God says I need change, I'm willing to kill a sacred cow on the spot. I haven't always been that way. This year has been a year and the last six months have been a time of killing sacred cows. We were contemplating killing some sacred cows before the pandemic hit as a church, as a staff. The pandemic hit, and I'm telling you, all the sacred cows were taken away. They were destroyed like when Moses came down from the ten, the hill with the Ten Commandments, and he said, destroy those. And it was, I mean, he busted up the Ten Commandments. He was so mad. He just threw them down. The pandemic busted things up, and I'm grateful for it. It's taught me that that might have to be a way, the way in which I live more than what I was. Because a lot of people say, oh, I love details. I love routine. I need my routine. Well, I love and need a routine too. But if God doesn't want me to live in that and get comfortable, and he wants to lift my lid of capacity, I might have to kill some sacred cows and kill the routine. Um, one thing that I felt God gave me during this time in this pandemic is a pivot. And I was in basketball. Actually, fifth grade, I started basketball, like competitive, like traveling team. And my fifth grade year, I actually was on an all-boys team. There were two girls, myself and one other. We were in a small little town, but we did travel and we did play basketball. So I played from fifth grade through college. Not a big college, but I played in college. And uh, so the pivot, like when I hear pivot, all I think is your pivot foot, that you keep one foot planted. And then if you do that, you can have the ball and you can you can pivot and you can turn all the way around. You can face the other side of the court. You can look for somebody who's open. You have to keep your pivot foot. A foundation in Jesus, we hear things like he's the cornerstone. That's that pivot foot. We keep it founded in Jesus. But then that other foot, it can go 180 degrees. It can go 360 degrees. I can pivot in any direction. I just keep the pivot foot. But pivoting is important. Pivoting can win the game. Pivoting can get us open. Pivoting can change everything. Pivoting can lift our capacity. The last uh, thing I'll leave you with is that Look for this as, as a sign of growth in you and also go after this to grow in character. Not just character, good character, because our character can change throughout our life. We can go through a divorce and it can change our character. We can go through something difficult. We can go through abuse and it changes our character. We can find Jesus and it changes our character. We are changeable and moldable. So character, not just having character, because but when we say that, what we're really saying is if you have character, it's like saying you have integrity. The character of people can be negative. It can be flawed. It can be, oh, they're not even trying. Or you can have a character that is seeking after God that grows a good character and a lot of integrity in you. But it takes work. Character can be an ever-changing thing. And uh, I've thought about this a lot in life. You can uh, plan on every day of your life either growing or going backwards. There is no neutral. Let me put this in the context of like the last seven and a half years that we lived in the church context of um, every Sunday, we felt like we can't have a neutral Sunday. We either have a Sunday that's moving us forward, moving the ball down the field in our culture, in our city, in people's lives, getting more people saved and moving their Jesus journey along. Either we're moving people forward, we're moving the kingdom forward, or it's going backwards. There's no, eh, that was an okay Sunday because an eh, okay Sunday is actually moving backwards. Think about putting your car in neutral. 
when you put your, now some of us throw our car in reverse and we're like, I'm going to go back to alcohol or I'm going to go back to that bad relationship or I'm going to go back to binge watching TV every night. I give up. I quit my job. I just, I just have lost, you know, my, lost everything and we throw it in reverse. But for most of us, we're not trying to throw it in reverse. We're, we're either going forward, but we think neutral is just neutral. But, but neutral, think when you put your car in neutral, if you're on any bit of a slant, forward or backward, you you slide back. So in neutral, if I'm on like, I'm going to start to slide backwards. Uh, I think about the auto car washes that you go to and you put it in neutral and the machine can easily move your car along because you're in neutral. There is no neutral in life, ladies and gentlemen. There's either moving forward or there's moving backward. And you can deliberately move backward or you can unintentionally move backward. But moving forward is always intentional and moving forward is the only way to live the daily life. Now, I still said have a Sabbath. I'm not saying bust your butt every day. That's not about works. It's about desire and relationship with Jesus and being intentional and deliberate like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Deliberate in your relationship so that you move forward. Being in neutral, think about that, putting your car in neutral, it's going to move back. Okay, so here's my questions for this week. We didn't even get into chapter nine, so and our study is over. So I guess when the book comes out, it'll come out in about a year, um, you will get to read chapter nine and ten. And it will finish, it will close the gap, but all of these weeks honestly can stand alone, even if you didn't get to listen or watch all of them, they can stand alone. Uh, but cliffhanger, if you think that is, uh, for chapter 9 and 10, because I won't do that, because we just literally ran out of time and weeks. But I want to leave you with these questions. Uh, so again, if you're taking notes, or if you haven't been, maybe type this in your phone, write this in a journal. Do you feel one of the characteristics, teachability, capacity, or character come more natural for you? Explain. Some of us would say teachability comes very natural. I'm a very humble person. And and you may not, if you're humble, you probably don't tell people. I'm very humble. <laughs> but like teachability, you're always learning and growing. You don't think you're an expert. Cool. But do you struggle with capacity? Do you struggle with seeing that you can do more? There's more in you, for you, and to you. So these three are like a trifecta of working towards all three grow us and stretch us and they're necessary uh, to be discipled well and to be able to disciple others. So teachability, capacity, or character, which comes more natural for you, explain. And whatever that you need more room. So this is the second one. Which of the three do you have room for growth? Start to work in that area. Start to work on it. Number three, who do you deliberately impact right now? If you have a child or children, you're impacting them. But are you in neutral in your car? And so you're parenting, but you're in neutral. You're not striving forward. You're not pushing forward, meaning you aren't talking to them about Jesus. You're not reading Bible stories to them at bed. You don't have a picture Bible for them. You're not praying for them at bed or at meals. Um, you're not talking to them about their little hearts and emotions. You're telling them, don't, you need to stop crying. Crying is weakness. You may not say it that way, the way maybe some of us were, were raised, but, but through your actions, like you stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Like, we're deliberately impacting, but we might also be like, I mean, I love them. I don't say anything that's hurtful. I'm just, I just really lost 
my joy. I just, I just want things to go back to normal. I just want to get back to church. It's up to the kids pastor to make my kids grow in Jesus. And we might just have gone neutral. And I'm telling you, if you're a neutral in your parenting, if you're neutral in your mentoring, your children or people around you, you are sliding backwards. You're rolling backwards. So who do you deliberately impact right now? Here's the thing. If you're a female, I know it's hard, but you can't think that you're going to be the one to mentor your husband. You've got to pray God puts somebody in their life or there's an energy that they get, a desire for Jesus that they deliberately go after him. Men, you can deliberately impact your wife. And this isn't a, this isn't a class thing like or a, a sexist thing. This is a, I want Sean going ahead and before me because frankly, he's got a meaner voice when he disciplines our kids. He's, he's got a powerful presence as the man of our home. Believe me, I am powerful in my own right, powerful in our home. But women, don't think of your husband as a kid and someone you're going to mentor. You need to pray God brings somebody into their life and that they're open and receptive. You are not to mentor them. Sean mentors me, but he has to be at that place. And you're going, what if my husband doesn't? You have to pray for that for them, for someone to come into their life, for someone that they watch on YouTube to be someone that they're, that they, they have something sparked in them. Uh, and then the flip side is, ladies, if your husband is, is running faster than you for this Jesus thing, follow do it. It's not wrong to follow. I love being a woman. I got to stay home and have babies. I'm not opposed to being a woman and like, I'm the same as Sean. No, he could work and I'm staying home with these babies because I love this. And so I like that he's had to strive when I could take a break. There's power in how God created us, but we are co-heirs. We are completely both qualified for the ministry. If you don't know what I'm talking about, three Sundays ago, Two Sundays ago, pastor did a message. Well, I should give you the dates because you could be listening to this much later. In July, um, pastor talked about uh, women that Paul was the same one to say, be submissive and don't teach. And then he was the one to say that Priscilla, Lady Prisa, was actually um, the one who was the leader and the pastor more in, in her relationship with her husband. She was the one called to ministry and actually speaking more. So how could the same guy say two different things? Because it was in the context of quit having women stand up to speak when you won't let them be, be trained by a rabbi. You won't let women get educated. They're trying to speak get them out from speaking. They don't know what they're saying. Hello, Rachel Hollis. I mean, you guys are going to think I have such a bad spirit. I, I don't. I've had pastor, male pastors, female pastors who are like, it's a wreck what, what, what a false prophet. We're not talking Joel Osteen. We're talking somebody who comes in and looks like they have the answers and takes you the wrong direction. Don't have someone, male or female, stand up and claim they're teaching the Bible and they're teaching you and pointing you to Jesus when they're saying untruths. And Paul was saying these women are saying untruths because you don't allow them to be educated by rabbis. But if they're educated by rabbis, which you need to allow them to do, they can go and be any kind of ministry leader pastor, church planter, like Lydia. So anyway, that's a side note. Go back in July and watch that message um, from, from Sean at lifechurchgreenbay.com. You can do that. Last question for you. If you were to get a mentor to stand in the shadow of their faith when yours is weak, who would it be? 
And guys, I know some people shut down at this point whenever you talk about a mentor and they're like, but it's not fair. I don't have an Aunt Judy. Well, my Aunt Judy's in South Dakota. I haven't seen her physically for two years. Um, jump on a Marco Polo with somebody. Um, <clears throat> get Start reading the book of someone that you know that their words. Beth Moore has mentored me. I would say, and I never met her. I did meet her this last year because she came to our church and spoke um, with living proof. So I got to meet her a couple times. But I mean, she didn't mentor me over those two days. I just got to meet her and chat with her. That was it. But she mentored me over the years in her books. Uh, Lisa Turkhurst is a current mentor of mine. I would also say I haven't met her. <laughs> I'm not trying to throw people that I've met. Um, but she didn't actually, her and I didn't have a conversation. We stood in uh, Magdala, where Mary Magdalene's from, off the Sea of Galilee. And we looked at the first synagogue where Jesus would have, We I stood by her. But that didn't mentor me. It was exciting. I was geeked out. Like, those laser jerkers, we're like this far apart. And we're looking at the same thing. And wow, she doesn't know my name. She, But she's mentoring me by me reading her books and watching her study. She just did two studies from Israel. And I'm like, yes, I, I love that she loves Israel, the Holy Land, the Jewish context. And so you can do this through authors. You can do this through speakers. You can do this online. Just don't get a mentor that is saying all roads lead to heaven. Don't have Oprah be your mentor, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, specifically ladies. Gary V, have him help you on social media, sift through his cussing, to, uh, but don't have him be your spiritual mentor. No way. Tony Robbins, don't have him be your spiritual mentor. He's a He can tell you how to get your capacity higher, but he's not someone to mention, mentor you spiritually. And so I don't go to a health coach or a trainer to help me physically my body and also say that they can help me spiritually and theologically. No, they have their niche. Uh, don't adopt someone someone's philosophy who isn't a scholar, who isn't a theologian, who isn't searching the scripture and the scripture alone for the answers. That's how you get a mentor like the Hebrew model. That's how you learn and grow so you can be that for those around you and under you. All right. I love you guys. So glad you've been a part of this journey. If you missed any of it, like I said, you can go to podcast.lifechurchgreenbay.com or the Sunny Hennessy YouTube channel. You can watch all of these six weeks of teachings. Also, uh, you could share this and you could share any of those avenues for people. Specifically, you might want to go back and hear my hour-long talk on sexuality, moral sins, and uh, see if I did dance all over your feet or your friend's feet as well. I love you guys. Thanks for being a part of this. Bye.